For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill After, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcasts and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC Talk Radio is always exciting. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. It's Hall of Fame weekend. Or week. I'm so mixed up with what's happening. Hall of Fame week, which means I don't dress up. Craig, of course, dresses up. Uh, He's got to compete with uh, certain people in wrestling to keep the best dressed in wrestling. But here we are. I am technically wearing a Hall of Fame jersey. Yes, you are. Thank you. But uh, welcome to HIC Talk Radio. I'm Dan. That's Craig. Dan Law 83. Craig Lagan. Not real hard to figure out. We'll go over that at the end of the show. Before we get into the WWE Network on Peacock, you had an uh, apology, but a correction or an addendment or somebody followed up on our AWA Bernie Gagne kind of skating rant the other day and you wanted to follow up on uh, somebody reaching out to you about something. Yes, Dan, thank you. Uh, Two weeks ago, you know, we were were talking about um, the... uh, the WWE and the AWA, and we were taught. I, I brought up that there were two types of racism. Now, the WWE uh, has a plethora of of black wrestlers and black superstars, but at the same time, they play on they've played on racial stereotypes with black people. Um, they've had white wrestlers dress up in blackface. They've had Tony Atlas dress up as a African warrior with spear and everything. And they've even tried to pass a white wrestler off as black, Akeem. Okay, so that's that's one form of racism. And I and I mentioned that the other form that was a non non inclusive part of racism, because we uh, two weeks ago uh, it was the the anniversary of the passing of Bernie Ladd, yeah. and I pointed out how huge Ernie Ladd was not just in physical stature but his presence in in American wrestling in the United States. And how he drew everywhere, and how he's a main event talent, and how uh, he was one one of the greatest heels of the seventies of yeah. any color. Period. Yeah. Bar none. Yet, yeah. yet he never set foot in the AWA. And for the record, I never said I never called Vern Gagne a racist. No, I didn't either. Yeah, what I was I was pointing out that for as as popular and not even as a heel as in demand and as thought out and as reliable. A big money draw as Ernie Ladd was in every major territory. I'm in not laughing at you, by the way. Arena in the United States, he never stepped on the AWA. Well, someone pointed out to me 
and they were correct because I, I had forgotten that um, a person of color did have a good run in the AWA, and it was uh, Peter Maivia. And the very That's first, right. the very first time I ever saw Peter Maivia was in an After magazine in 1976 during an AWA title match with with uh, with Nick Bockwinkel. And in the official rankings, he was ranked number two behind Vern, and he had a good run. After that run, he went to the WWF and he had classic uh, match with Superstar. Yeah. Turned heel and had a classic run with with Bob Backlund. After that, he went went west and founded his own company, and you know, the rest is history. And someone else pointed out uh, that at the tail end of his career, uh, Jimmy Snuka also had a run in the AWA. When it's feud with Colonel De Beers. This yeah, but isn't that kind of like saying, "Well, I have a black friend." Well, what I was going to, what I pointed out to this person was, you were right. They are both people of color, one's Fijian and one's Samoan, but one they are not is black. And black. Yeah, and while I I singled out Ernie Ladd only because of his immense popularity and his immense drawing power, that would be an asset to any federation, uh, territory, NWA, WWF. But uh, Bobo Brazil never wrestled in the EWA. Thunderball Patterson never wrestled in the EWA. Rocky Johnson never wrestled in the EWA. Tony Atlas never wrestled in the EWA. So that's the point I was, that's the original point I was making. And you very astutely pointed out why all these men that I just named were main event talent in every place they wrestled, in every territory they wrestled, yet never set foot in the EWA. And you astutely pointed out that makes Bron Gagne either a racist or an idiot. Pick one. Because Yeah, yeah, I, I was saying idiot. Yeah. <laughs> By the way. Yes. Yeah, and and his idiocy has been very well documented, I mean, especially during the, the For a while there AWA was a juggernaut, but yes. he didn't adapt. No. He didn't he didn't adapt to anything. Whether it be including other, anything other than white wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Certainly lacking in the female wrestling territory, but everybody was those days. Yeah. As far as the the big, you know what I mean. Yes. Um, and by the way, we accept the criticism, please, because we yeah, love and, interaction. Well, I, but I just can't believe anybody's ever even re- interacting. Thank you. Yes. Uh, but towards the end, he had he was incapable of adapting. Yeah. Maybe saying he was an idiot is probably most likely harsh, but. I was trying to drive home the point that he didn't fucking adapt no. to the stuff that was happening in front of him clear as day. Yeah. Kind of idiotic. Uh, and even other wrestlers will attest to it. Jerry Lawler, treat chief among them, and when he was here in Philadelphia on, on um, wrestling radio with Joe Goodhart, and he was talking about how he made last-ditch efforts to Vern when he was the AWA champion. And they entered in an agreement with World Class, um, and even and with Tennessee, so all three of them could work together in you know interchanging talent and you know keeping each one of their territories alive since they were getting swallowed whole by the WWF and WCW. So Jerry pointed out that we can just make all three of us you know under the AWA umbrella, Memphis World Class USWA, we can make that our own little thing. Burns said no. And Jerry Lawler pointed out, you know, you can have the greatest idea in the world, but if Vern didn't think of it, that's not the greatest idea in the world. 
So it was after that, shortly after that, when Jerry left the company and left and held the AWA title up because he was like, I'm I'm going to be fine. I've got Memphis, and the WWF will be calling, and he didn't know this, but within a year, so he would be okay. And because Vince McMahon was in great standing with Jerry Jarrett, Jerry Lawler was going to be okay uh, no matter what. But he was trying to help out Vern because Vern gave him a shot to be the AWA world champion, something that you know was hurting business because Jerry Lawler would get these shots at all these world champions, namely in the NWA. And knowing that he would never get a run at the NWA title, no matter how well he drew against Harley Race, Jack Briscoe, Ric Flair, what have you, Harry Funk, chief among them, he wasn't going to get a run. In the AWA, he would. He would have a better shot, and they, he proved them right. And he was the AWA champion and a great drawing AWA champion. And bringing in other federations would have helped everyone out. But Vern said no, because like you said – he didn't adapt. He couldn't he was adapt. Incapable of adapting, which by definition in those days is pretty idiotic looking about what was going on around him. Yeah. And that was Vern in the nineties. I was pointing out in the seventies when you could have used these uh wrestlers of color that I named that drew everywhere in the United States that could have done nothing but help your company since these guys did nothing but help everyone else and it's not like Ernie was ever going to go over he was not going to be AWA champion he would no he wasn't that kind of guy it was no he he got it yeah and you even you you pointed out uh two weeks ago when he said do you think Vern Ernie would have had a problem with Vern um or that and Ernie worked for and with so many different promoters and bookers throughout from Vince Sr. to Eddie Graham to Bill Watts to Ole Anderson to The Sheik, if he could manage all those different personalities and not have a problem with any of them and they never had a problem with him because he kept coming back to these territories and making both of them money, why would he have a problem with Vern? Or why would Vern have a problem with him since his whole job is to come in there, get tremendous heat, have a big match? I win the first one first month. I went by count. Second one, double DQ. Third one, blow off match. I put you over. I leave. On to the next one. That's what he did in every territory he went. That's what he did with Pedro. That's what he did with Bruno. He could have done that with Vern easily. But, I, but to the person who pointed that out to me about Peter Mighty and Jimmy Snuka, you are correct. I overlook. I overlooked them. I was saying that I was specifically saying. Um, because of the death of Ernie Lather, Ernie, as successful as he was, never wrestled in the AWA. And the person who ran AWA never had any uh, popular or even uh, hated black wrestlers on his roster at any point. And that's all I was saying. But thank you for pointing it out that it was <laughs> that Peter Maivia and Jimmy Snow, the two wrestlers of color, had a had successful runs in the AWA. And I sit suited, corrected. Sort of, sort of. <laughs> they, they still weren't black, but yeah, but. no, they were they weren't black. But my my point stands. And I yes. and again, I I will hold fast about the Vern thing. Not yeah. discrediting everything you did before that. At a certain point, yeah, that's just me. Uh, <laughs> at a certain point, you have to learn to let go. Yeah, and we'll see what the summer holds. But at this point, I'm going to have to let it go. 
And that's the WWE Network. Yeah. Because it sucks on Peacock. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, you said it. Um, and I'm not talking about lack of content. Mm-hmm. I, in, in the grand scheme of things, I can live without. You know, they're telling me it eventually will be there. We already had a discussion on censoring stuff off the network. Mm-hmm. Not beating that dead horse, which would probably get cut by Peacock, <laughs> even though they're airing a, a John Wayne Gacy documentary on their network. Yeah. Sure, cut wrestling. That's fine. It's more offensive, apparently. Yes. Pogo the Clown. Okay. But um, there are – but it, it, listen – the net, Peacock has a great layout. The app works great. But there's no features. You can't pause it and come back. Nope. Well, you can't, you can't stop it. There's no chapters. You can't stop it, leave, come back, press play. It'll be in the same spot. It's Vince McMahon needed some money, and he made the deal. And the only people that are losing out are wrestling fans. And now, this is not for – I'm not speaking for everybody because there are a lot of wrestling fans who don't care about the old archive stuff that this is not affecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll watch it live without breaks, which I just can't and won't do anymore. And uh, so I, I guess we're in the minority, uh, a certain you know, present company included, Craig. Um, thank you. I wanted to get to it before you did. Thank you. Um it's it just it, the rollout's not been great. Um, no, it, it, it hasn't, and I I knew that was a a, a problem going in. I, I, hold, I was holding on hope against hope, man. Yeah, but and but I said the same thing. Um, you couldn't have waited a year, worked out all the bugs, and then presented it. But no, I need it. I need just right now, right before WrestleMania, to do this deal. At, you know, really, really quickly. To get it out so we can get WrestleMania on Peacock like right before WrestleMania season, but I I don't know what the, I don't know what the rush is. I, it's not like they were cash strapped. It's not like they they needed this. The, wait a year or wait hell six months till um, SummerSlam. Work out all the bugs. Have the SummerSlam be your, your WrestleMania. Then when everyone will be more vaccinated, and you can have more people in the stands, and it'll be safer. And I don't know what the rush was. The rush is what's killing it now, the fact that there is nothing, uh, that you can't stop it, you can't pause it, you can't pick up where you left off or or anything, and why it's such a huge cluster F for wrestling fans, period. Jim Spector's in the room saying, it's really crappy for looking for specific segments for episodes. It's like the old days of trying to fast-forward to rewind to find that specific match. Yeah, it's not like I haven't been here before. Yeah. But it's like when, you, when, you, when you're like, here, Sheldon's mom is in the room too, hello. Uh, when, you're, when you're like, here, here's this thing that the rest of the world is going to keep, but you're not going to have it anymore. No. For something inferior right now. Yeah. I looked up, before I said anything, I looked up to see if there, if I miss you asked where these features will come later. And the only thing I found is the stuff that you and I are watching, that all stuff, that stuff will all come later. All the archive stuff, uh, albeit very edited. Yeah. Um, it's coming later. But, just on live events. Yeah. 
you have TakeOver 1, TakeOver Part 2, you have WrestleMania 1, you have WrestleMania Part 2, you had the Hall of Fame thing, and none of these, it's all gone. None of that features there. It's annoying, and it's its its turned me off to it. I haven't watched any of it yet. I've watched the clips on YouTube again. I've and only, I was ready to bear down, man. Me too. I've only seen the the Hall of Fame clips from, from Twitter and from Instagram. That's it. Because I, when I tried, it's like I'm not anywhere close to. Not, I'm not what interested I in looking at any yeah. of this. Yeah. No. Uh, speaking of the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. some big things went down last night. Uh, stuff that I've forgotten or didn't know about or wasn't announced. Um. Uh. I know there's going to be one you're going to want to talk about. The one I want to bring up first, Gary Hart. How is it 2021? And Gary Hart is only in the WWE Hall of Fame now. That's the one of the biggest mysteries of, of all. That uh, Gary Hart wasn't in any type of Hall of Fame or recognized by the by the WWE. He's one of the single greatest, not just managers, at which he excelled at. He's always been in my top five, top three, or four. But booking minds and a guy that was what now he's the he's the anti burn because he did see change and he did adapt and go. It, Gary Hart was the one who was based in Texas with Fritz and saw Fritz bringing in old wrestler after old wrestler for his sons to to beat like Mark Lewins and the Spoilers and the Bo Ramoses and Gary was like, well, geez, these three young baby faces, Kevin David. And Kerry, uh, instead of wrestling guys my age and their dad's age, why don't we get them some young heels? Like these guys in Atlanta, the Freebirds, or Chris Adams, or hey, Gina Hernandez, or hey, Jimmy Garvin, you know, to go out up against these young baby faces, bring in young heels. And what do you know? He does that, and world class has is the biggest money making territory outside of the WWF in nineteen eighty three, eighty four. Because again, the forethought. Gotta adapt, gotta roll with it, gotta see look ahead and not stay with what we were doing. Same thing with this is the anniversary of the um the debut of the great Muda on the Clash of Champions uh that he brought in. Same thing with uh with Kabuki. And foreign wrestlers. Uh, Gary Hart was was the man when it comes to foreign wrestlers. Gary Hart knew. Gary Hart yeah. was vocal for everybody else was. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or, or the Mid Atlantic stuff when Gary Hart. Oh my God, Dan, when Gary Hart in their early in 1984, when Gary Hart managed Ernie Ladd. Oh my God. Just give them the microphone and just what? take the whole hour. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, because it only lasted like a month or so. That's all I need. That's, yeah, that's years I, of material, sir. Because Ernie was booking there, and, and Gary came in with, with Kabuki. Oh, of course. Ernie was like, you're my guy. <laughs> Gary's like, yes, I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But to have the both of them talk, man, it's like, i got to tell you something, big brother. He calls him and Gary Hart, so, so GM Spectre, I actually got to see him make a return live for some for the time he was in MLW for some tapings at a show in downtown Orlando. Awesome. The when when the pandemic when lockdown first happened, MLW was airing some of that. Okay. On their YouTube channel, so I was going back and watching uh, the last 
kind of some of the last stuff Gary Hart ever did in wrestling for you. Yeah. Before she passed away. That if I had a time machine first place to go. Yeah. Go interview Gary Hart. Um and he, then he quoted uh I'm sorry. Jim Spector quoted um Gary Hart, I can't talk today, which is every day. Kabuki is not a toy. You do not play with him. Uh, did you ever see the interview where Gary Hart introduces Muda as Kabuki's son? I have not seen that. Yeah, I and would I, I would say go to the WWE Network, but we both know that. It ain't going to be there now. <laughs> It'll be there in August or something. Yeah. Um, Gary, I'll say it before, Jim Spector, I always like pointing out the first show I ever went to in person was Halloween Havoc 89. You'll send it to me on Twitter. Thank you very much. Jim Spector coming in for the win. But it was Halloween Havoc 89, and the main event, which was refereed by Bruno, yep. was Sting and Ric Flair with Ole Anderson versus Muda and Terry Funk with Gary Hart. That was the main event of the first show I ever went to. It's only, like, retrospect 15 years later where you're like, holy, yeah. holy shit. One, two, three. Or even just watch Gary Hart and Terry Funk during the Terry Funk-Ric Flair. Oh, God, show. yes. Yeah. Uh, the Thunderdome Cage, yes, that is the one. The th- Thunderdome Cage, uh, where it caught fire before the show started. Muda had to climb up, spit it out. Yeah. <laughs> spit out his mist and put the fire out. Because they thought, you know, we're going to have this cage. It's Halloween Havoc. Let's put some flammable decorations on the side and then turn on the pyro. Yes. In a building where there's not supposed to be any fire. Yeah. Yeah. In the Civic Center, which, you know, if you sneeze, you're going to knock it down in the first place because it's yeah. been there since the 20s. Let's like that on fire. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but Gary Hart going in, um, uh, incredibly excited. And I know, uh, and they that's how they, they, they sneak it by, the legacy win, the, the legacy wing. Uh, my apologies. They'll announce all the, the their, fill, their quota filled for their WWE Hall of Fame every year. We got to put in the tag team. We'll put in a woman. We'll put in a person of color. We'll put in someone who's dead. And that's how they fill out. And then at the end, they say, oh, in our legacy wing, here's um, Luthez. Jushin Thunder Liger. Yeah. And or here's uh, Hiro Matsuda in our legacy wing. And, like, all these guys are the ones that created uh, – here's Danny Hodge in our legacy wing. Um, Danny Hodge is maybe the greatest American wrestler in the history of organized sports – but he's in your legacy wing as an afterthought after you after you put in Coco Beware, or or, or you you put in uh, some other clown that couldn't lace Danny Hodge's boots. But yeah, and and so Gary Hart, yes, going in is much is deserved, and I don't know why I'm getting excited over a company that he never uh, wrestled in, wrestled for, but um, was there another name that you you pointed out? Because I noticed one. You pointed. Uh... I'm going to have to go look it up, but Shushin Thunder Liger also got in. Out of nowhere, it was like, wait, what did I miss? Why is Shushin Thunder Liger there? Yeah. Um, and another, uh, in the legacy wing, uh, along with Gary Hart and, and the person that Gary Hart managed, Buzz Sawyer is now in the WWE Hall of Fame. There's another name I need to look up, hold on. Talk about those guys for a second. <laughs> Buzz Sawyer probably... Um, he was my Spud Webb Award winner, the greatest wrestler under six feet tall. I put him and Eddie Gilbert in the same category. Buzz Sawyer, uh, listeners of the HIAC Talk Radio 
podcast, and I will die on this hill every time. Buzz Sawyer had the single greatest power slam in the history of professional wrestling ever. Buzz Sawyer would catch anyone off the ropes, and he would go completely perpendicular to the mat and slam a person. Buzz Sawyer, single greatest power slam in the history of wrestling. Buzz Sawyer also was the first trainer of The Undertaker. When, oh, that's, uh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. He told the story on the Stone Cold podcast. Uh, but, yeah, pretty much just took the guy's money and beat the crap out of him and then <laughs> then left town. Brickhouse Brown. What? Brickhouse Brown went in. Okay, I'll put him into the Coco Beware category. As, as, as <laughs> That's why. why I was hoping you were going to talk about it. You didn't even know. No, I didn't know. Uh, yeah. I I barely know Brickhouse Brown existed when he wrestled. So, <laughs> and and I'll, it goes back to my Ernie Ladd story. What put Brickhouse Brown on the map, Dan, was uh, he when he before he went to Memphis and made, made kind of a name for himself. He was being uh, a rookie on Mid on uh, Mid Atlantic TV, and he get crushed. Uh, he but he show a lot of heart, and the announcer would talk about how much heart he had. Then Rufus R. Jones, another black superstar of the seventies, um, well, then he said, "I'm going to get with Brickhouse, and I'm going to I'm going to help him out." So in Brickhouse's match with Ernie Ladd, Rufus R. Jones interfered, and Brickhouse Brown got a pin on Ernie Ladd. So that put Brickhouse Brown on the map, and the After Magazine ate it up. And, of course, after the match, Ernie attacked Rufus R. Jones, laid him out, took Ernie about 20 minutes to climb to the top rope, and he came off with a devastating flying body press. And Gary Hart came in the ring and counted one, two, three, while Ernie put his foot on his chest. But, yeah, so but Brickhouse, Ernie Ladd put over Brickhouse Brown to give him the biggest win of his career. Dr. Death went in. What the hell took it? Why is Dr. Death going, going again? Know. Why now? And you're going in the same class as Brickhouse Brown. Here's Who's one the, I'll pi- here's one I'll piss you off. Yes, Ray Stevens. You know, I was going to say just that. in there, just in no, there. Because I, I, how many times have I said on this very podcast of people that haven't that aren't in the Hall of Fame but should be in there? And in 2021, Ray Stevens is in the WWE Hall of Fame in 2021. When you could have put him in there 35 years earlier, I just I just let Dick the Bruiser went in. Oh goody, Paul Bosch. Oh man, Pistol uh, Pistol Pez Pistol Watley. Pez Ethel Johnson went in. Okay, great black woman. One, the, yeah, the tag team champion, NWA World's Women Tag Team Champion. Uh, Rob Van Dam went in. We saw that. Uh, deserved. Yeah. Uh, great colleague. Eh. No. Kane, yeah. for multiple reasons, yes. Yeah. Uh, GF Spectre, I'll read that message in a second. Bischoff went in for reasons yeah. that he should be in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Molly Holly, which we covered two weeks ago, absolutely, without question, no matter what your argument is, yeah. absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and she's in there. Yeah. Um, Baron Michelle Leon. Yeah. From the biggest stars of the 50s. Legacy. Yeah. Uh, the New World Order went in, which, uh, okay, so, uh, fuck Hogan, whatever, but yeah. it was Hall, Nash, and Waltman. I'm like, Waltman, well, uh, no, nah, okay, I get it, he's your friend. 
I mean, Waltman's a Hall of Famer, but... Yeah, not for... NWO? No. Yeah. Well, he's a Hall of Famer in two groups now. Was he? Did he go Did he go in with DX two years ago? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's so X-Pac. He's in his sixth and X-Pac now. Okay. So <laughs> he's, in two, he's in the Hall of Fame for two different group, fringe groups. Yeah. That he, uh, he should be in for Waltman. I yeah. think he's a Hall of Fame wrestler. That's just my opinion. I, as far as junior heavyweights go, yes. Um, his, uh, his with Lightning Kid and his one two three kid, yes. His work ethic is. As I said earlier, Jushin Thunder Liger, the British Bulldog. Yeah. And John Bradshaw, Bradshaw Layfield. Yeah. Interesting. The British Bulldog is in, but the Dynamite Kid is not. Is it interesting? Yeah. <laughs> is it? Uh, Titus O'Neil got the Warrior Award, and I'll just say it should be renamed the Titus O'Neil Award. Whatever. Yeah. Did more. I'll say so. Here's a fucking hot take, and it's not really a hot take, but it's a, it's a woke hot take. But I'm right, and you're, the rest of you are wrong. Um, to stand by it, and if uh, you just if anybody text messages you over it, just send them my way, and I'll deal with it politely. But don't bother. You're wrong. Uh, Titus O'Neil has done more for his wrestling community and the community in general, and is taken and given at a good pace versus the warrior who took. And gave little back. I, I agree. Some would argue that the warrior gave nothing back to the world professional wrestling. That is true. Uh, yeah. I was trying to be a little nice about it yeah. because he's dead and all, but yeah. But like and, you said, with, with many dead people, Dan, he doesn't care. He doesn't. He can't hear. But uh, <laughs> it's true. It's very true. <laughs> warrior, if anything, left the business worse than when he entered it, which it cannot be said for Titus O'Neil. Inspector <laughs> just said true. Yeah, who <laughs> has made everything. Uh, Titus O'Neil, his presence in the WWE has only made it better. And no, Warrior's presence was problematic. Okay. He has a, he pro, Warrior has a place in wrestling history. Yes, yes, on taking the up, taking up, <laughs> but taking up after Hogan or impossible shoes to fill. He did a, an admirable job as far as keeping business. Um, at at that same level, they were still sellouts. He he drew money for whatever you know for whatever reason, and as limited as he was, the man was incredibly over. So in that respect, he 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 has a spot in wrestling history because I didn't think anyone could follow Hogan, but Warrior did because he fit the same mold as Hogan. Now, douchebag, uh, yeah, and which is apparently what you needed to be to be a WWF champion. Obviously, the bloom came off the rose very quickly. Um. But uh, for what Warrior did for that short amount of time uh, can't be understated because the man was extremely over. And I was um, – it got me a little bit. I mean, Yeah, I was going to say, you got all of us, man. Yeah, you got all of us. But, um, but again, the bloom went off the road very quickly. And it when we find that we – comes to light who the actual person behind the Warrior persona was – Jim Helwick is not deserving of any accolades or any Hall of Fame-worthy achievements because his achievements were very few. Uh, I will say this. Watching those old um, shoot videos he does against Hogan. Yeah. Entertaining as hell. Just puts Hogan... I mean, the scum covering the scum, the pond, (laughs) but I know you, Terry. I'm just like, yeah. Uh, Bella Twins. Yeah. Uh, yes, but there. 
they opened up wrestling to a whole group of women, uh, little girls. Like, yeah. it's not who what, who am I to crap on it? Certainly added more to wrestling than the. Never mind. I won't finish that <laughs> sentence. I remember. Uh, yes, Mr. said. I remember the NWA 1989 stable of Sullivan Slaughterhouse, Sullivan Buzz Soil, and a rookie Cactus Jack Manson. Yep. Oh man. Uh, yeah, better. You know, re- respect to the Bell Twins, but moving on. Yeah. Um, and it gets to all the HIAC Talk Radio listeners of this podcast that you hear to. We we talk about wrestling, and I do a segment called Wrestling Historian. Coming up next. Uh, that's coming up next, so stay tuned. But um, the names, Dick the Bruiser, Ray Stevens, Baron Michelle Leone. How dare and, you put them in the Let You Sing wing and not do a feature and, on and, them? And Paul Bosch. Those names alone deserve to be – Their whenever, own class. Yes. Whenever there was a Hall of Fame – even discussed in professional wrestling. It's like, you know what? We ought to do a Hall of Fame for professional wrestling. Those names should have been first. Without Paul Bosch, Texas wrestling doesn't exist. start. Yes. And you wouldn't have the careers of most of the wrestlers that we talk about here if it weren't for Paul Bosch giving them his giving them their big break. Ernie, it goes back to Ernie Ladd. Was huge in Texas. The catalyst of HIS. Oh, if only he was alive, I'd be able to reach out and go, "Hey!" Uh. But, but Ernie was—he was born in Texas. He played for the Houston Oilers. He headlined the Sam Houston Coliseum more than any other wrestler uh, during that era. And again, the Von Erichs, Gino, the Freebirds, Junkyard Dog, Fritz, yeah, the Midnight Express, Magnum TA, Gary Hart, Gary Hart, all the, Paul Bosch. All of them, if it weren't for them. And I know there's tons of people that I'm missing. And, and the person that, that reminded me about Peter Maivia is probably going to remind me again. Good. Um, please do. Please, please do. do. You put but, Craig in his place when you need to. Exactly. But Paul Bosch, just like with Dick the Bruiser or Ray Stevens and Baron Michelle Leone. Baron Michelle Leone was, in, with Gorgeous George, the most watched professional wrestler of the 50s, when wrestling was on network TV, Baron Michelle Leone was, next, again, next to Gorgeous George, the single most popular wrestler there. On an average, what we would do now would be 38 million people a week we would be watching wrestling on network television back then. Um, this man was a star, was a superstar, was a, I mean, with larger than life. With I mean with, with Cary Grant, Gary Cooper star, where he would appear with them on red carpets at yeah. movie premieres. That's how big Baron Michelle Leone was. Okay, and in those days it didn't happen. It's it's not like no. The Rock and John Cena walking into a Hollywood premiere and five years later become actors. This was yeah, wrestling was a sport. It was real, and these people were hanging out with Hollywood stars. That's a thing. That's a bigger deal. Bear Michelle Leone, George, um, Gorgeous George, Fred Blass during the 60s, they were on television every week on network television. They were movie stars. They were TV stars. They were television stars. And when they went on the road to wrestle, they would sell out. Bear Michelle Leone and Luthez did about 50, I was going to say 58 share on a uh, TV show. But they did about there were twenty eight thousand at the Chicago in Chicago Stadium, 
because of uh, the popularity of Bear Michelle Leone on television. Uh, Ray Stevens was probably the the I, I don't know where to start with him. The over the the turnbuckle flop that Rick Flair had made famous. Where do you think he learned it from? Ray. When and Ray Stevens uh, maybe single-handedly put West Coast wrestling on the map to the point where Bruno San Martino went out to San Francisco because Ray Stevens was drawing sold-out numbers because they wanted to get them those two together. Ray Stevens was the United States champion in San Francisco. He beat Bruno in a, by a countout, and he started calling himself the WWF Heavyweight Champion, and that drew him, him not even more sellout crowds, but drew him heat because there was no internet back then, so it got back to the East Coast that Ray Stevens is calling himself the WWF Champion. Wait a minute. Vince McMahon had to call Roy Shire and said, is your guy doing that? He goes, yeah, okay, well, tell him to stop because I can't have Bruno fly back out there for you, but, you know, just – don't do that, but that's how over Ray Stevens was. Yeah. Part of two of maybe the two greatest tag teams in the history of of the AWA. That's the thing I always forget. He didn't do it once. He did it twice. With Pat Patterson and with Nick Bockwinkel. Yeah. And Patterson and Stevens were the tag team that every other tag team wanted to be. In two different uh, interviews with Dusty Rose and Dick Murdoch when they were the Texas Outlaws. What team were you trying to be like? Well, we were trying to be like Patterson and Stevens. When they asked Michael Hayes, when you and Terry Gordy started out, uh, who'd you want to be? Well, we dyed our hair blonde because we wanted to be like Patterson and Stevens. They set the bar. Legacy wing. Yeah, but no, we'll put them in a legacy wing. And we'll overlook the fact that both the AWA and the NWA wanted to make Ray Stevens their world champion because of how good he was and because of what a great worker he was. And even in his 40s, late 40s, he was one half of the NWA Tag Team Champions with Greg Valentine, with Jimmy Snuka, with Ivan Koloff. Came all the way here to the WWF to put Jimmy Snuka over when Jimmy Snuka turned face for the first time. Who did he do it against? Ray Stevens. When Ray was 49 years old and on half a knee and could still bump his ass off. Ray Stevens is the type of wrestler that you not only try to, to try and to be, but you will always fail because you can never be as good as Ray Stevens. But Ray Stevens is the type of wrestler that if you want to become a professional wrestler, don't look at what he does in the ring. Look how he does outside of the ring. The interaction with the crowd. Not just the flips on the, the arm drag takeovers, or not just the the uh, flying into the back and forth across the rope, not how he takes a drop kick, how he takes a, a backdrop, how he gets flung into the turnbuckle before the flips, going into the back and just selling. Ray Stevens is the blueprint for how to sell to how to, to, to being a heel. Not only does this man deserve his own wing of Hall of Fame, he deserves his own school. Yes, yeah, the little... Building, the uh, side building on the main campus, yeah. Yeah. Well, while you're on a roll, dude, why don't you just take over the wrestling historian? I feel like I've already done it, but I got another wind in me. I'll call it my my second wind. And that got Amber up, so. Um, 
we got to start it right away. Hold on. Right away, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Called him on the spot. My fault, my fault. No, that's okay. I understand it. <laughs> Keep Amber waiting. Go ahead. Go. Gentlemen and ladies, welcome back to this edition of HIAC Talk Radio. Um, Please don't mind the suit, yes? I just want to read to you J. Rod's comment where he just says, "I'm just here for the cat." Yeah, that's why I'm here too, J. Rock. <laughs> J. Rod. 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 J. Rod. J. Rod. <laughs> the, the only reason I'm here. Sorry, dude. You start over. Okay. The cat is intrigued by the conversation. Yeah, I'm trying to see if Amber is looking at me and hates me, or is just you were the one that was playing with me with that watch. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> Is that the motherfucker with the watch? Yeah, that motherfucker's not allowed to come here anymore. Good. <laughs> Start over. Sorry. Welcome back to HIAC Talk Radio Special Edition. Um, folks, don't mind the suit. I'm just trying to be Hall of Fame worthy. Uh, we just discussed that in our last episode of HIAC Talk Radio. But this episode of HIAC Talk Radio, we're going to stay in the past and talk about some of the great stuff that happened back when professional wrestling was indeed professional wrestling and not sports entertainment. And uh, we're going to focus on a particular week uh, because if you saw anything on the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony, you'll know that we are in WrestleMania week. So this, gentlemen and ladies, and this edition of Wrestling Historian, we're going to be focusing on WrestleMania week and some dates that change professional wrestling altogether. Uh, we're going to start um, – I mentioned this uh, in our previous uh, HIAC Talk Radio uh, broadcast uh, about a Clash of Champions. April 2nd, 1989 uh, was not only was it the same day as uh, WrestleMania V, uh, which we'll skip because it was held at a place that has been destroyed uh, that was owned by a former president, but – what also happened on that day was uh, April 2nd, 1989. It was Clash of Champions 6. Yes, go ahead. I just want to point out that uh, they uh, – just to just to take the stigma off the building, mm-hmm. uh, Boardwalk Hall is not – has never been and will never be owned by Donald Trump. Uh, it's next to Trump Plaza or whatever the hell it's called now. I think that's mm-hmm. gone now. Yeah. I think they actually tore it down recently. Uh, they just said that because of the, from Trump Plaza because of the endorsement from Donald right. Trump. Uh, Boardwalk Hall is a separate arena. It's got nothing to do with him. Star, I just wanted to hit you off before any of your friends texted you and corrected yeah. you. That's okay. Well, that's why I don't have any friends. Class champion. Sorry. Class <laughs> champion. That's all I'll focus on. Because WrestleMania 5, and I saw them both on the same day back when you could. Uh, I went to WrestleMania 5 uh, during the afternoon. I saw it on closed circuit TV at the Philadelphia Spectrum, the beautiful air-conditioned Philadelphia Spectrum. Then came home and watched Clash of Champions, the real wrestling. Uh, you know, that Clash of Champions, Clash of Champions Six. Uh, I see the. Not only did I see the Varsity Club defeat the Road Warriors for the NWA Tag Team Championship, uh, making uh, Mike Rotunda the only person to ever defeat the Road Warriors for a World Championship twice. As it uh, should be. As it should be. Uh, and uh, not only was it the, the debut of the Great Muda, managed by Gary Hart, and um, but it was also the uh, epic uh, one-hour, two-out-of-three-falls match between Rick, Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. 
Uh, it actually went uh, with 55 minutes total, but it was supposed to be an hour. And I, I come back to this every year. Um, after the match, they go. They went full two and a half, two out of three falls, one hour. They interviewed Ricky Steamboat, who was the NWA champion at the time, and they interviewed him, and he wasn't even breathing hard. <laughs> he was talking to Jim Ross just like he talked to him. Before I can't that. relate. No. But uh, yeah, that's that's the most fascinating thing about that day, April second, nineteen eighty. Can you just wrestle for an hour? Eh, no, what? Yeah. No. Because hey, you okay? Yeah, I went to the refrigerator a second. <laughs> uh, yeah, but and but and this was now and this also the more horrible thing. This was ten years after Flair and Steamboat first started their feud. They their feud started in nineteen seventy seven, and their matches when they were going an hour every day for a solid month over the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship or the Mid Atlantic TV title. That was Steamboat's first title. That was also Ric Flair's first title. So it's 12 years later, and they're still going an hour. And neither one of them are breathing heavy. That's insane. Uh, Yeah. That's insane. But the one person I had to thank for that, Dan, uh, a person we talked about on last week's – It's this week's. Or that we talked about on the last episode of HIC Talk Radio. They are both trained by the great Vern Gagne. Who is not a racist? Didn't say that, but ne- never, never said it. <laughs> but, but you just had to be told. Yes, we're kidding, by the way. It's it's funny. Yeah. So just don't. We're not being serious because apparently every time we are on here, it's serious. But I and I what I can say of and I with wrestlers that I've disparaged on this very podcast. I can still fuck say, them, every one of them. I can still say good things about. Uh, it was Undertaker's birthday, our last show, and I said plenty of good things to say about them, him, even though I've never been a fan of his at all. Yeah, fuck him too. <laughs> uh, Vern, Vern Gagne, uh, his school of wrestling, uh, as archaic as his manners of his training may be, they produce two of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Uh, to the point where both of those men, Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, are two of the finest physical specimens of cardiovascular uh, genetics that I've ever seen or ever encountered. Uh, and that was all due to Vern Gagne's training. Again, it, the training methods may have been archaic. If you've heard any or if you've seen the Ric Flair 30 for 30 documentary where he details their training, uh, running up flights of stairs, 30 flight and then carrying someone up those same flights of stairs, up and down the stairs, and the 500 squats and the 500 thrusts and the 500 pull-ups and the 500 sit-ups. And he burned this into each of their minds, their brains, their repetition of exercising to the point where when they were on the road, especially Flair, when he could in, in towns where he couldn't find a gym, he would do those same things in his hotel room. 500 squats, 500 sit-ups, 500 pull-ups, 500 push-ups. And Steamboat did the same thing. You know, we, we talked about um, about the NWA champion, about how uh, the, the rigors involved, or even just the schedule, which is insane. With uh, someone like uh, Ernie Ladd, who, who was a, a main event everywhere he could, and why he couldn't have been an NWA champion. And 
it wasn't there was concerted effort not to make Ernie Ladd champion, but just the schedule would have killed him because Ernie Ladd couldn't wrestle an hour every night, seven nights a week, every week for two years straight. It would have killed him physically. And as far as the people that could physically do it, Flair could, Dory Funk Jr. could, Harley could, and if you wanted to, Ricky Steamboat could, because he, he was more than physically capable of wrestling an hour every every night in a different town every week for a number of years. But what Flair and Steamboat did in 89, 12 years after they first started doing hour matches, uh, stuck out to me, so uh, April 2nd, 1989. Um also, that WrestleMania week, uh, <laughs> WrestleMania 22 in Chicago, 2006, April 2nd, 2006. Uh, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was the uh, entrance of John Cena coming out in the old uh, Untouchables car. Oh, uh, yes. With the Tommy guns. Mm, wonder why. Yeah, and uh, one of the people that was that was there making his WrestleMania debut, un- unbeknownst to us, the M-Punk. Happened years earlier with a car and a pink Cadillac at WrestleMania six, six, yeah, and uh, DDP's uh, pink Cadillac, right, driving rhythm. Right. Technically, made his debut in wrestling at yeah. WrestleMania. There it was, and all because he's the only one that he owned a pink Cadillac. And bro, bro, I got a pink Cadillac, bro, <laughs> bro. Uh, uh, happy belated uh, April 3rd. Uh, happy belated uh, birthday to Lance Storm. Happy 52nd birthday, uh, April 3rd, to uh, Lance Storm. Um, April 4th, uh, 1993, WrestleMania 9, the first outdoor WrestleMania. And uh, some would say the worst. Uh, WrestleMania 9 in Las Vegas. Some would agree. Yeah, uh, but featured the debut of many people making their first WrestleManias. On that uh, particular WrestleMania, Razor Ramon, Lex Luger, the Steiners, and Jim Ross all made their first WrestleManias on that date, April 4th, 1993. Uh, April 5th, uh, this is probably the one of the biggest dates in professional wrestling history, only because of what it meant to professional wrestling, how it still resonates today. You know, we're talking about celebrities, you know, that have appeared at WrestleMania over the years. But uh, April 5th, 1982, at the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum, only 8,019 people showed up on a Monday night. You're fired. <laughs> on a Monday night, uh, you see Jerry Lawler, Take on the challenge of Andy Kaufman. There's only eight thousand people there. Seemed a lot more. Oh my! It sounded like a lot more. Yeah, and and it was one of those things. There was like Will Chamberlain because it, it, the match was so big, and now everyone claims that they were there. And now at least twenty thousand people say, "I was there. I saw it." Uh, when Andy Kaufman took on uh, Jerry Lawler um, for the intergender. Heavyweight Wrestling Championship. Uh, up till then, before that, Andy Kaufman had been baiting Jerry Lawler with his now legendary uh, video sketches, putting down the great people of Memphis, Tennessee. You're from Hollywood. I mean, you're from Memphis. <laughs> I'm from Hollywood. 
that how you talk with the Lawler? Uh, I I like telling the story, Craig, about Kaufman and Lawler because you know I always tell this story like this because my dad, right, who shit on wrestling for years and rightfully so, even though he watched roller derby. Mm-hmm. Another story for another time. But he would every it was like he just every day he would watch me watching wrestling at any age would be like the first time he saw me watching it. Mm-hmm. And he'd have to say the same lines always. Uh, this is stupid. This is uh, I can't repeat. This. But and last year we were having a or the year before no it was in October when I saw them last during pandemic times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were having a conversation and he I threw out the term kayfabe. Oh. And he's like, "What is? What are you talking about?" And I explained to him the way I was explaining it because I'm not on planet Earth with the rest of us. <laughs> I go. Dad, do you remember? Because I know he talked about this when I was younger. He's like, I want to when Lawler and when Jerry the King Lawler or whatever and Andy Kaufman fought. That's what I watched wrestling. And I brought up, hey, remember Lawler and Andy Kaufman? Yeah, yeah, you almost broke his neck. Yeah, that wasn't real, Dad. And he just went, camera on me. He just went. I said, yeah, that was part of the show, Dad. He didn't break his neck. He didn't powder him twice and almost kill him part of a gimmick and I blew his mind and he kind of I, I saw at that moment at 65 years of age that he was like oh got it gotcha but that's that's how big that was like yeah, I never watched he, wrestling he, he was like, like yeah but he I remember Lawler, Lawler and, and yeah, Kaufman they didn't even remember Jerry Lawler's name yeah that is, yeah, that is, the fact is that he thought it was, he dismissed it so much, but Andy Kaufman made him remember Jerry Lawler. Just remembered, have you ever seen my breakfast with Blassie? I've never seen that. Yeah. Yes, I'm from Hollywood. That yeah. documentary yeah. that was made in, was that made in the early 90s? Because Robin yeah, Williams was, was on it. Was, it in there. Yeah, right, and most of the cast of Taxi was on it. Uh, Robin Williams and uh, Tony Tucker, Tony Danza and Mary Lou Hanna. And, that got played on Comedy Central for like 10 years. It I got owned played the, all I, the time. I owned the VHS tape. I bought it at a Hollywood video. But they kind of kayfabe it. They kind of they, 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 they were did. shoot the hell out of that. Yes, because they all kept saying the same thing. You just never knew with Andy. You didn't know if he was serious, and you didn't know how far he was going to take this. And you know, and they couldn't show. Obviously, they couldn't show the Letterman sub. They couldn't show on Saturday Night Live. They showed the newspaper clippings from the yeah. actual New York Times when he was um, and when it happened. Because April fifth, nineteen eighty two. Uh, that Monday night, it made national news. I mean, and to the point where it was on the news here in Philadelphia um, that what had happened to Andy Kaufman. Because Andy Kaufman wasn't as much as he says, "I'm a star." Andy Kaufman was like the fifth cast member in Taxi, which was a top five show, and a top five show in 1982 on network TV could get you anywhere between 30 and 35 million viewers a week. A week, not just a one episode. You get thirty-five million. It's every week they got between thirty and thirty-five million viewers on ABC to watch Taxi. And like I said, Andy Kaufman wasn't even a star of that show. He was maybe like the fourth or fifth guy down, but still, everyone knew who Andy Kaufman was. So when he gets piledrived in Tennessee by this wrestler, it was huge everywhere. Uh, this motherfucker. Yeah. This guy, how dare he? 
And, and Andy, they even mentioned it on Saturday Night Live on Weekend Update that weekend because Andy had been such a big part of Saturday Night Live up till then. Andy Kaufman was on the very first episode of Saturday Night Live, October 9, 1975. So he and Saturday Night Live go back a long way. So they, that was a big deal, made national news. And the thing is, that night, um, he and uh, Jerry uh, talked about how they were going to, to do it. And got the fans so into it and so upset because Andy kept running away and baiting Jerry with his, you know, me, 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 me. And finally, Jerry Lawler walked out, grabbed the microphone, and said, let me ask you something. You come here to wrestle, act like an ass. And the place went nuts. And they played this whole clip on, on, net, on network news shows, and they had to bleep the word ass because that's no. yeah, 1982. And he said, now, look, I know you must know one wrestling hold. I'll get in the ring. I'll let you put me in a headlock, and I won't do anything. So he goes in the ring, and Lawler puts his hands behind his back, and Andy puts him in a headlock. And I still don't know what was said. Andy Kaufman was, actually, was, was saying something to Jerry, and Jerry put up his, his finger and just started telling the crowd, just wait one second. Picked him up in a belly-to-back suplex, and I thought that broke his neck. It wasn't a pile driver's. I thought the belly in the back oh, was like... Oh, it was so devastating. It yeah, was just this little guy. Andy landed so wrong, and his chin hit his chest, and I know that legitimately knocked him out. And it gets better, Amber. Calm down. Uh, and then when Jerry picked him up for not one, but two pile drivers, and the pile driver was so devastating, folks, back in 1982, that it was it was illegal in Tennessee and in many arenas in the South. So if you pile drive your opponent, you're instantly disqualified. So when Jerry Lawler pile drive Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler was disqualified. So the winner of that match was Andy Kaufman. So after the referee called for the bell and uh, Jerry gave him another one and Andy was straight laid out, stretched out and fans were going crazy and Andy didn't move. And Jerry didn't move, and Bob Zamuda was in the ring, and the referee Jerry Calhoun uh, didn't know what to do. He was the uh, liaison between the two, and he bent down and said, "Andy, you're all right." And he goes, "Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Of course, he's fine." Jerry goes back to Jerry Calhoun. The referee goes back to Jerry Lawler. He said, "Yeah, he's fine." He says, "Well, tell him to get up." Calhoun goes back to Andy. Andy, Jerry wants to make, wants you to get up. He goes, no, I want an ambulance. And he says, Jerry Calhoun gets up, walks over to Jerry Lawler. He said, Jerry, Andy wants an ambulance. Jerry's like, ambulance? That's 500 bucks. I'm not paying for that. Jerry Calhoun goes back to <laughs> Andy Kaufman. He nods his head, goes back to Jerry Lawler, and he says he'll pay for it. Jerry goes, all right, get him an ambulance. <laughs> get him an ambulance, whatever. <laughs> And they backed the ambulance into the Mid-South Coliseum. This took like 20 minutes, guys. Yes, it took forever. But no one went anywhere. And so, the cameras were still rolling. Is he dead? <laughs> and there were matches that went on afterwards. This wasn't, you know. Yeah, this was like mid-show, maybe. Yeah. Maybe yeah. beginning. But this was like early on. Yeah, yeah. Andy was probably telling him, hey, suplex me as hard as you can. <laughs> yeah, so let me take it. And uh, take so it. The, he, they brought, they backed an ambulance into the Mid-South Coliseum. And uh, they loaded Andy neck brace, loaded it onto a backboard, backboard and into a stretcher. And 
cart him into the ambulance. And again, this was national news. This was a major TV TV star of a network show uh, that was caught up in the hospital, and he spent three days in the hospital. TV networks were there to uh, interview him, and he said, "I always thought wrestling was fake, but apparently this one wasn't." And he made the rounds for the next four months wearing a neck brace. We'll talk uh, about part two to that story yeah, another day. Yeah, when we on the Letterman. But uh, Andy Kaufman uh, went frequented the Madison Square Garden shows in the WWF uh, when it came every Monday night. That's where he got to to meet Fred Blassie, another one of his heroes that he grew up watching on network TV, along with Baron Leone and Buddy Rogers and uh, Gorgeous George. But uh, Vince Senior didn't want anything to do with him. Vince Senior said in his words. Uh, wrestling, wrestlers and celebrities don't mix. I don't want celebrities in the ring with uh, my wrestlers. Oopsies. Yeah. Three years later, WrestleMania one, Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. Speaking Celebrity of not adapting. Players. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and but uh, and Bill Apter, who was a friend of uh, Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler, said, had Jerry Lawler said no. Andy Kaufman's next stop would have been Florida and Dusty Rhodes. Oh, Dusty would have done it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, April 5th, 1982, big day professional wrestler. And if we're talking about the – we were talking about the WWE Hall of Fame and how they have a legacy wing and they also have a celebrity wing. Uh, why isn't Andy Kaufman in there? Sure. Uh, that's a very good question. Even with the um, Lawler, so wait, Shatner got in there before. Yeah, and it kind of, I kind of knew he he, uh, he wasn't going to go in when they he they okay. could have done it. They could have done it when the movie came out. Okay, sure, so, but no, that's that doesn't make any sense. No, that's uh, you know, if, if I bet you that's on YouTube, I'm going to look that up on YouTube. But the I'm from Hollywood. It's a work. Sh- it's, it's wonderfully produced, wonderfully done. And he always dreamed of wrestling. wrestling. <laughs> I remember it. Yeah, I'm from Hollywood, and they were and they showed tapes that I hadn't seen before, like an Andy beating up that very large woman. I'd never. Oh seen yeah, that yeah. That's the thing. The build up. Just real quick. The build up was is this. This was intergender before intergender was like the net, like we want more intergender matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, this is how it's like. Andy knew what he was doing. Yeah. Um, he'd go on Saturday Night Live or another talk show or any other show that would have him, and do this whole thing where men are superior to women, and I can out wrestle any woman in the world, and I'll take it. And then he'd have them, her beat him. Yeah. Or he'd have to cheat to win or steal yeah. something. But he total total heel. Yeah, the entire time, and he got it, and he and he always looked like the fool, mm-hmm. which is something that is sorely missing these days. Not to sound like an old fogey, but but it's it's you can watch Andy Kaufman, and he always wanted to say, in his words, "I always wanted to be a bad guy wrestler." But you see how easy it is to get heat because when he you said Dan, whenever he appeared on, and he was on Merv Griffin and on Mike Douglas, and even on Saturday Night Live with Buddy Rogers as his manager. When he wrestled a woman on live TV, getting heat when the when the the 
woman's back was turned or when she was on the ground, and it would kick her or nudge her with his foot, and the crowd would go nuts. Are you kidding? And just, yeah, yeah, they wanted to kill him. And when he made up these tapes about Memphis wrestling and holding up toilet paper, this is called toilet paper. And this is pronounced soap. Not soap, but soap. And you use it to get, you get it wet and you put it on your body. And he was, and he, and he would send these clips in to Memphis TV and they would play them and Lance Russell would play them. And oh, come on, Andy, that's, that's too much. When he went to the arena, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to boil him in oil and sell his fat for silk. That's how you get it. It's so easy. And I don't know why people don't understand how easy that is to get heat, but that was April 5th. I digest. Uh, but I digest. Uh, April 6th, uh, two big things happened on this date, a uh, year apart. We were talking about uh, how Hall of Fame. And I mentioned the people that you mentioned that just got in the legacy when this year, in 2021, names like Dick the Bruiser and Ray Stevens, uh, which is absolutely ludicrous and ridiculous. But in 2013, the WWE Hall of Fame inducted the two longest reigning champions in WWF history. They're one and two. Bruno Sammartino and Bob Backlund went into the WWF Hall of Fame in 2013. It was in Madison Square Garden in New York for WrestleMania 30. I'm sorry, 29 yeah. that year. But um, why would the two biggest, the two longest reigning champions in WWE history. One held it for eight years straight. One held it for five years and ten months. They just went in. Um, well, the the Bruno thing was because Bruno was like, fuck WWF for a yeah. long time. Yeah. And and Bob wasn't too complimentary of them either. Um, but the fact that they, they – A, that they both went in. And it was also probably – that was – Dan Rouse probably the last Hall of Fame ceremony I saw because it also was the most enter- one of the most entertaining. Because not only did, it, did Bruno and, ba- and Backlund go in way overdue, but Cactus Jack, Mick Foley went in that year too. And even just his his off the mark, his offhand comment, all things he didn't get to do, I never beat Chris Jericho. It just out of the blue, and then Chris Jericho runs on stage and tells Mick, "I'll take it. I'll take an elbow." And then CM Punk runs on stage to be the referee. And first he's walking towards Chris real slow, and, and Chris is lying down and make up, no, no, no. And then out of nowhere, he drops the elbow on Jericho. Punk counts to three, and then immediately gives the X sign to signal everyone that Chris, that Chris Jericho is really hurt. And then Mick continues his speech, but that was one of the most – that was probably the most entertaining Hall of Fame that I remember. That uh, Bob Backlund, Bruno Sammartino, and Mick Foley all went to in the Hall of Fame that same year. Way overdue. Uh, Richly deserved by Mick Foley, but Backlund and Sammartino deserved a lot better. Uh, that same day, a year later, uh, to the April 6, 2014, the WrestleMania 30, uh, the streak ends. 
landmark day in professional wrestling history. That should have ended it. Yeah. You, you per, it was perfect. I, and I understand the want to go on and the need to go on. And I don't. Well, I mean, I understand it from there, from the per, the performer's perspective, sure. Uh, but my perspective, uh, that was a perfect out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Undertaker has mentioned this um, many times. We still don't know if you. I say you go back and watch it <laughs> on the on the Peacock, but forget it. Uh, but no, no, that you can find. Okay, but during the match, and he still doesn't know when, but the Undertaker sustained a concussion. Uh, earlier in that match with early in that match with Brock and he like he said he doesn't remember when it happened. Uh but for everyone who said it was a shoot Hence that, the concussion. Uh, yeah. That uh he wasn't that he was supposed to kick out and he didn't. Um that was it. He found out that he was the streak was ending the, the when he got there. And um but WrestleMania thirty, April sixth, two thousand fourteen, the streak ends. And with good reason. It's just, you talk about moments that don't happen anymore, and it, I know it was, it, that's one in the modern times where it's like, mm-hmm. perfectly executed. Yes. Perfectly. To the referee's reaction, to the people's real reaction at ringside. They, they still have, there's still memes of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, Paul E's reaction. Yeah. It was perfect. Perfectly yeah. done. Mm-hmm. End of the streak. Well, thank and, God uh, he went out on a Bonehouse match or something. Thank God he went out on during an episode of Walking Dead, the way that every good wrestler <laughs> should should end their career. Yeah. On the Hollywood soundstage with tons of extras and multiple takes. Yes, that's professional wrestling. Uh, which brings us to today, <coughs> wrestling history. Show you how far we've come. It is WrestleMania season. Uh, folks, but I want to bring out uh, April today on this date, 1986. 35 years ago today was WrestleMania 2. The second Wrestle, this is a, and it's the only WrestleMania that actually had a number, not a Roman numeral, it was actually the number 2. And um, just like that poster behind Dan. Yes, right there, yes. yes. Um, yes. But this WrestleMania, let me show you how far we've come um, and how much it was. WrestleMania, after the success of the first WrestleMania, we mentioned Mr. T, uh, huge house in Masquerade Garden, video sales from Coliseum Videos broke records, and it was a big deal. So they wanted WrestleMania 2, they wanted to make it even bigger and better. So they had the great idea, I say great in huge sarcastic terms, to have WrestleMania 2 in three different locations. At the Nassau Coliseum, in the UIC Pavilion in Chicago, and the Los Angeles Sports Arena in L.A. Massive, massive logistical nightmare for all three of those venues. And this was available on closed-circuit TV. Again, I went to the beautiful air-conditioned spectrum to watch this. And all three of them, and, after, and they went. They started in, in Nassau, Long Island, uh, Uniondale at the Nassau Coliseum, and then it went to Chicago, and then they went to L.A. because the uh, main event was Hulk Hogan versus uh, King Kong Bundy, and they just packed it with all sorts of gimmick gimmickry and celebrities in Los Angeles. Uh, they had the ring announcer for. 
Hogan and King Kong Bundy was Robert Conrad and Ricky Schroeder. And to see Schroeder next to Bundy and to have everyone in Philadelphia yelling, Splash Schroeder! Splash Conrad! What did did they ever do? They were celebrities. And that was just in L.A., Dan. In Chicago, for the the Invitational Battle Royal, they had a whole bunch of football players. William Perry. Russ Francis. William Refrigerator Perry. Yeah. That was also... um, where the uh, WWF tag team title changed hands, where the British Bulldogs defeated Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake, uh, and the British Bulldogs with their in their corner was the, not only Lou Albano but Ozzy Osbourne, Ozzy Osbourne, yep. who went into the, the celebrity wing of the WWE Hall of Fame this week. So there's another celebrity that was in one WrestleMania, but yet he's in the. Uh, oh, yo, he was in. The, he was on Raw. They won the Osbourne. I was say, it was the, it was the the. Um... Uh, general manager, the uh, yeah. guest general manager at one point. Yeah, every week. Yeah, so yeah, you know, but again, Ozzy Osbourne's in a celebrity wing. But let's go and, crazy. But Andy, but Andy Kaufman is not. Who did Andy piss off? Yeah, and but neither is Cindy Lauper, which is another outrageous, egregious. Um, if that, for not for Cindy Lauper, there wouldn't be a. No, no, that's just stupid. If you really want to get into it, that's just but, really dumb now. Yeah. Uh, that, and uh, also during the Invitational Battle Royal that Andre the Giant won, um, that was uh, Bruno's. Bruno was also in that Battle Royal. That was his last WrestleMania. And the last person that was that was uh, eliminated was Bret Hart. It was the Hart Foundation, and Andre were the only ones left. And Andre eliminated Jim Neidhart and then Bret Hart. And that was the Hart Foundation's WrestleMania debut. debut. Yeah. And three WrestleManias later at the uh, other Battle Royal that was won by Bad News Brown, Bret Hart was again the last man eliminated. So Bret Hart was eliminated from the, both the last man eliminated for the, the first two Battle Royals in WrestleMania history. Good. But, but the big deal in the Union in the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, Long Island, where the main event was Mr. T versus Roddy Piper in a boxing match. Oh. <laughs> Check out the celebrities they had just for I don't know how they got all these people into Uniondale, but Susan St. James did commentary. The worst ever. <laughs> she because she was married to Dick Ebersol. Who is age That's who, wonderful for Dick Ebersol. But Dick Ebersol was the one who put WWF on uh, created Saturday Night's main event. Really happy for you. So no. g- give my wife <laughs> give my wife a spot. And she did commentary on the uh, Jake the Snake Roberts George Wells match. Okay. I would have rather heard Elvira do commentary <laughs> on that. And she was in the she was in Los Angeles. I know, I know. I said I'd rather have her on color commentary because yeah. Uh, one of the uh, the cornermen for uh, Mr. T in his bo- in his boxing match with, with uh, Roddy Piper was Joe Frazier, was one of his cornermen. Ray Charles did America the Beautiful, stirring rendition. Uh, Joan Rivers was a uh, ring announcer for um, the um, the uh, Randy Savage George Steele Intercontinental Title match, but the judges. 
for the Roddy Piper Mr. T boxing match. <laughs> the now late great G. Gordon Liddy. Man, great's a word for it. Daryl Dawkins. That's okay. And Cab Calloway. Absolutely fine. <laughs> I have nothing. We could debate G. Gordon Lilly, Liddy, but I'll have nothing to say about Dawkins and uh, Cab Calloway because well, goddamn Cab Calloway. If you need judges for a boxing match. Cab Calloway is a, yeah. <laughs> and Daryl Dawkins. Absolutely. Uh, Cab Calloway, the uh, boxing uh, uh, great that he was before he became a singer in Baltimore. <laughs> But that was just an, an indicator. He of was the, a low-down hoochie-coochie. Mom took me to see that movie when I was 13 years old. You know what I, I appreciate about Cab Calloway? What? Is every decade he would re-release that song in a different style and it would be a chart topper. Yeah. That motherfucker got it. He's like, disco! Let's do it. He was... He... he um, and that he went to the Chubby Checker School of um, of, of well going. I've got one move to the hoop. I've got gonna, one well. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna milk it until I'm yeah. dead. And he literally milked it till he was dead. And all respected praise to the late great Cab Calloway because that's awesome. I only yeah. discovered the disco version like three months ago. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but uh, one of the judges for uh, the uh, fight between Mr. T and Roddy Piper during WrestleMania two, one of the three, yeah. But you, you can see how over how they went overboard trying to get as many celebrities as they could, and they ran that back in for three, like one place. Yeah, just this one. Yeah, we'll have it one place. We'll just and we'll have Bob Uecker, we'll have Mary Hart, and we'll have Aretha Franklin, and that's it. And we're moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Two out of three for that ain't bad. But yeah, 35 years ago today, uh, that took place, the second WrestleMania ever. Uh, And that, gentlemen and ladies, and Amber, is the Wrestling Historian. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. And if you can, and if you are more than welcome to uh, correct me. Please uh, do, yeah. Him, not me. (laughs) To me. Uh, uh, point out anything I might have overlooked or might have forgotten at any of those uh, social media platforms like I said Facebook, Instagram and, and Twitter at Craig Logan C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S Sheldon, as Mama said Hi Amber Jen Spector says always an awesome lesson from Craig Hey, what music video is Cab Calloway in? In the 80s, it's not Janet. It's not Janet Jackson. No, yes, it was. Uh, it was um, all, Where he all right. appears at the end. Yeah, uh, but it was Cap Calloway and the Nicholas Brothers, and uh, it was uh, it was and it, the whole video was a, a vibe of the, the four. Yeah, it was. Uh, they were wearing everything. It, they were in Cap Calloway jackets. Yeah, and then and at the, the end, he just suit. looks. At, he's sleeping on the bench. And he just walks by. Cab Calloway's the fuck off frame and it's like and that was right before I think that was right before he died that was the last that was the last thing he did yeah, yeah one of my girlfriend's favorite videos nice Unicorn yeah. King what's going on right at the end unfortunately you're coming in but Unicorn King says hi everyone hi, where's Unicorn. it Kai I think I'm pronouncing that wrong 
You'd think I'd know seeing you in all the other rooms, and then when it comes time to get called on the carpet, I'm like, uh... Ah. Kai! Oh, Kai. I got it right the second time. I'm good. Yes, yes. Thank you for coming in. I'm, I'm honored that you came into the room. Unfortunately, like I said, uh, it is it is towards the end. It's all good. Glad I at least caught you on for a minute. I really appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Um, Thank you. If wrestling's your thing, we'll be here next Wednesday. We'll be here every Wednesday. Because every time I get ready to say I'm not going to do it every Wednesday, I'm like, eh. Um, <laughs> but uh, where were we? Outro. That's right. Follow yes, me. <laughs> Possibly on Twitter. We're not shutting down just yet. We're doing outros and then hang for a little while, but follow me on Twitter. Damn well, I can see. All social media platforms, actually. Uh, YouTube.com if you're watching this live. And if you're not watching this live, go to twitch.tv slash damn and watch this live. Um, the VOCNation.com is the main hub of the podcast, the audio version. Do it there every week uh, for Craig Lagan. There. No, look the other way. Look to there. <laughs> Good night, everybody. This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Frisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. Both shows take callers live during the show, and recent guests have included... General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Danger Sandy Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter, at VOC Nation. Hola, this is your amiga, Shelly from Cali. To let you know, you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square.
Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights. 9 Eastern on the VOC Nation Radio Network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.